Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about the classics. My name is Chase, and I will continue to be your mostly quiet producer. Today, we return to Ostentatious as Cassie and Beth talk about Pride and Prejudice. If you'd like to support us, you can do so at our network Patreon at patreon.com slash ghostlightmedia. You can also find our website with a link to the merch store at shakespearepod.com. And now, on with the show. You can't go third in announcing yourself. I can't go third in announcing myself because there's only two of us. That's right. So this is the Shakespeare Podcast. Ostentatious edition. So good when it happens. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. And, and without sh- the boys, we get to the introduction so fast. I know. No one said anything dumb, and it's been a whole like two minutes ish. Not really. Well, so- I'm in my office this time. I usually we usually record in Chase's office, and I'm in my office this time by myself. And this is where I record my other podcast of Slippers and Spindles, where we do like basically no opening banter at all. We just jump right in. So I think I've been like channeling that mindset. Well, that so much of my opening banter could be about Pride and Prejudice on any given day. Oh, yeah. We should tell people that's what we're doing. We're talking about Pride and Prejudice today. This, Chris and I were talking the other day about Pride and Prejudice, because finally, finally he is reading it. Oh, good. I know, right? We have been together for 17 years. It is probably one of the most important books in my life because it's kind of this, like, foundation level book. Um, So once he started reading it, I was like, this is amazing. I'm really glad that you're doing this. It's been so long that we've been together. You should be reading this book. He has a foundation book, like, his Wheel of Time book series. He read it. There are eight big books, like big books. And uh-huh, he used to read them I know. every year. And they're terrible. They're awful. I don't know if you've ever read them. I haven't. They're not good. But he loves them. Those are his foundation books. That's kind of like what his reading style is based off of. And for me, Pride and Prejudice is one of those first books that I read and was like, this this reading thing's awesome, and we should do a lot of it. Yeah, I have an interesting question, I think, to start us off. Um, what was your introduction to Jane Austen and to this book in particular? How did you fall in love? Oh, well, I think like many girls my age, being 38, uh, when I was in high school, early high school, like... It would have been freshman or sophomore year. A&E did the 1995 Pride and Prejudice. And so I sat up and watched episode by episode as they released it, that original Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. And it's not the original. I know. I know. But that was my introduction to Pride and Prejudice. And the movie got done or the series was done. I'm like, I'm not finished with that story yet. So I bought it and read it like twice in a row. Just got done and read it again. Uh, and then I, like any other reader who doesn't know what to do next, I grabbed the next one. And my next one was Mansfield Park. And then Sense and Sensibility. And then my mom was like, did you know that 
Emma Thompson made a Sense and Sensibility? And I'm like, yeah, but I haven't watched it. And then it's, that's, that's how I got started. What about you? What's your first? So I, again, in high school, early high school, but I am younger than you are. It's true. Um, it my mother sat me down to watch the 95 Pride and Prejudice. I know that's where it started. I don't remember how old I was, um, but I loved it. And then when I was in my later high school year in 2005 is when the Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice came out. Boo! Boo! Absolutely. Fight me in a parking lot because I know people are going to object to my objection. I have reasons. We will outline them later. But you can fight me in a parking lot. I agree with you. I am not a fan. We... I own so many versions of Pride and Prejudice. I don't own that one. No. I don't truck with it. There's a lot of reasons for it. Most of it is that that's a skeleton, yeah, of a Pride and Prejudice story, but that's not Pride and Prejudice. And it's not in a gatekeeping way. Mm Because I am willing, like, Pride and Prejudice and zombies, love it. I don't care what you do to the story. I'm going to love it. I love Bridget Jones' Diary loved it i don't care but that is some sort of weird cottage core mm-hmm. amalgamation of we'll talk it. about it we will 100 percent get there in fact i'm just gonna write 2005 on a pin like it's, t- it's terrible i know I, can- I know we're gonna get there but that came out when i was in high school and um that's when like People around me started to like Jane Austen and be interested in Jane Austen. And that was around the time, the summer before my senior year, where I went, I should probably read this book. And so I sat down summer before my senior year and I read Pride and Prejudice and I loved it. And then that school year, I was in honors English and my English teacher every year for honors senior English made the students pick study authors. And you had to pick one British author who you would be reading exclusively throughout the year. And being obstinate when people tell me I have to read books, I was like, I am not going to get stuck with some dumb, like, old white guy because, you know, everything else is taken. And so she gave us two weeks to do research into what authors we wanted to do, but I went up to her at the end of the first class period and was like, hey, if I already know who I want to do, can I claim them now? And she goes, yeah. And I went, I want Jane Austen. And so two weeks later, when we were sitting down to choose our authors in class, she's like, and I just want to let everybody know that Cassie Guyon has claimed Jane Austen. And I swear every girl in that class was like ready to kill me. And so I I read the majority of her canon that year. I read everything but Emma. You know, because there yeah. weren't there weren't enough like grading periods where we had to like study a novel um, for me to get through everything. I'd already read Pride and Prejudice. I read everything but Emma, and then I read Emma that summer. Um, but Pride and Prejudice was the first. It's fantastic and it's wonderful and it's brilliant, and I love it. I d- yes. I believe that kind of sums it up. Like, 
It's wonderful. It's brilliant. And I love it. But we're only eight minutes into this podcast episode, so that's not going to sum it up. We're going to go into depth and detail. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. I feel like Pride and Prejudice is one of those when somebody's like, hey, could you talk for a while about Pride and Prejudice? I'm like, <laughs> I can and in song form. <laughs> not a problem. So I can't find what I did with my actual like paper copy. It's probably at work. Because I've been bouncing back and forth between reading it and listening to it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have my 1810 copy. I was going to say, that's a very old book that you're holding right now. It's a very old book. I'm pretty sure it's 1810. Sorry, 19, 1912. 1912. Still old. That's that's a big difference. Shut up. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a big difference. I didn't remember. Uh, but this just... This was a gift to me when I graduated high school Jane Austen stuff like if you don't know what to buy me people would just always just get me Jane Austen stuff and one of the guys I knew in high school uh, was like hey uh, happy graduation he had found this in a used bookstore <laughs> that's so sweet I know I didn't um, even I know date the guy yeah I found out this week that there is an edition of Pride and Prejudice that I want um, where all of the letters from the story have been handwritten as part of the book and they exist in like a little envelope that you can pull out and just have Darcy's letter to Elizabeth like there in front of you. Okay, well, that will be going on a list of things to procure that I don't need. Absolutely. Same. Same, put that right on my Amazon wish list and was like, I'll let somebody buy this for me for my birthday. Letter edition. So Which might actually be hard to find because there's a lot of Pistapol uh, Jane Austen books out there. Yeah. Like a lot, like a lot of Jane Austen's letters. You'll know it when you see it. It's like a big. I also in high school, I had what I called the Jane Austen pulpit Bible because I had a. <laughs> it was the size of a pulpit Bible. Like, it was a solid 18 inches or two feet tall. And there was all seven of her novels in, like, one tome. And it was given to me by two of my best friends as, like, a gag gift. Because you can't actually, like, sit and read that. I tried. But it takes up your whole lap. Yeah, not with that attitude, you can't. It's a commitment. Um, I don't know what happened to it, though. I moved out of the house, didn't take it with me to college, which means it's probably in my parents' basement somewhere. You need to invest in one of those book stands. Right? Like the libraries and museums have. You need a stand yeah. for it. Fancy stand. I got to find the, the book itself first. But like I have the Yale Shakespeare. That's a good. Mm -hmm. What did you call it? A Bible tome? Good. pulpit bible pulpit bible like it's it's big you can't read it you gotta put it on a desk and yes. it's got that real thin bible paper i need one too we'll have to go find one together maybe we'll go antiquing i love it let's do it uh but before we do that let's for the people who aren't familiar with this story somehow let's get into the plot all right. Well, uh, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Such a great line. One of the most famous is lines in literature. One of those iconic 
eye-catching lines. And I always love seeing how film and movie adaptations incorporate it because they almost all do. Like somehow they're going to work that line in, even though it's not a line of dialogue spoken by anybody. No. But this is Mrs. Bennett's thoughts. Like we start off pretty much just with Mrs. Bennett. That's our introduction. Mrs. Bennett has found out that there is a man moved to town. Mrs. Bennett has five daughters between the ages of 15 and 23. That would be Jane, Elizabeth, Mary, Catherine, Kitty, and Lydia. Indeed. That's a lot of daughters. And the fact that a young, single, and rich man has currently basically rented this mansion on the outskirts of town is great news for her because she has five daughters and the Bennets are not wealthy. No. And their home estate, small as it is, because of the patriarchy and sexism, <laughs> is entailed away from their family, which means that when their father dies, everything's going to go to this distant cousin and nothing's going to be left to take care of the children and the wife. So Jane Austen makes her opinions on entailment quite clear. Yes, she does. As every time the entailment is brought up, which is frequently, Mrs. Bennett just pops up like... Somebody might be in the middle of two towns over and say something about an entailment. And Mrs. Bennett's head pops around the corner and just goes, I don't understand why we must entail estates away from daughters just because there's no son. Jane Austen is not shy about making her opinions on things known. Honest to God, one of my favorite passages from any Austen novel is from Northanger Abbey, when she goes off on a two-page diatribe that has nothing to do with the plot, railing against authors who belittle novels within the novels that they write. Which she does in the novel that she's writing. Well, she's satirizing it, though. So she's going okay. off on the authors who do it legitimately. And, and like, she brings the plot to a screeching halt so that for two pages, she can yell at you, the reader, directly. Like, she's like, I am not telling the story anymore. I am now Jane Austen, and I am telling you why this is stupid. Stop doing it. Okay, now let's get back to Catherine Morland. <laughs> it's hilarious, and I adore it. So, chapter one is all about how Netherfield is let at last. Yes. Finally, someone's come. And Mrs. Bennett really wants Mr. Bennett to be sure to go the first day that Mr. Bingley is in town. Or whoever it is. I don't think she knows Mr. Bingley at this point. She's got to go. He's got to go the first day to be the first one to make his introduction. Because if he doesn't, then they can't go and know him. And the daughters will never get married. Ever. And again, because of the patriarchy and sexism... In this time, you couldn't just, like, go introduce yourself to somebody. The men had to go in an official capacity. And so once he was known to Mr. Bennett, he could be known to Mrs. Bennett and the daughters. But if Mr. Bennett wouldn't go and visit, then Mr. Lucas was going to go. And every other father of daughters in the whole county was going to go talk to Mr. Bingley first. And he would have to return all their dinner invitations. And he would never meet 
her daughters and he would marry somebody else and they would all be ruined. Forever. Mrs. Bennett goes down a slippery slope faster than anybody I've ever met in my life. She unravels the plot of her own life at the drop of a hat. Oh, yes. And then recovers just as quickly. And Mr. Bennett delights in teasing. He is, but I love him. I go back and forth. So there was a huge part of my time, part of my time, part of my life where I loved Mr. Bennett. And I thought he was a great dad. He's a terrible dad. He is a terrible dad. He's a terrible dad. Uh, I think he's funny. But if that was, like, if I was Elizabeth, I would be pissed most of the time, too. Yeah. He's, he's like, neither neither of the Bennets are great parents. No. So you've got a man. Mr. Bennet is very smart, and he knows he's very smart. Or at least he thinks he's very smart. And Mrs. Bennet is not. She's no. just, she flies off the handle all the time. Everything is about dresses, and she's... She's an airhead. And there is definitely, like, in the text, it says, you know, they got married when, you know, youth and beauty were all that he cared about. And then they got older and they're in a a marriage where they don't respect their partner. And one of the things I do appreciate about Mr. Bennett is that he, to Lizzie at least, is constantly telling her, like, you have to find somebody that you can respect in your marriage. I don't want you to marry somebody else for convenience or for money because then your life will be what my life has become and I don't want that for you. Right. And he is nice to... It's not nice. He's nice to all of his kids. But he is supportive of his first two daughters, of Jane and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is clearly his favorite which he mentions all the time as well. Well, Mrs. Bennett mentions all the time that Lydia is her favorite. It's true. It's true. So feel, we'll have to talk about who we feel bad for. I took a series of notes of questions that I want to ask you about for our yeah, second Yeah, for hand. sure. Um, but anyway, but this is it. the whole situation that we, we start the novel in. She's really excited because Jane is purported to be the most beautiful girl in the village. Like everybody says it. Um, Jane is also like super sweet and nice and like you'll never meet anybody kinder. And Lizzie, we're told Lizzie Bennett is uh she's witty and sassy and uh full of mirth. She's a joy. She's a joy. She's a joy. Um she is still who I want to be when I grow up, even though I'm now okay. older than she is. That's that's but <laughs> so Mr. Bennett, this like the opening three chapters just kind of describe what Mr. and Mrs. Bennett's relationship is all about. Mm-hmm. Because the first three chapters are dedicated to Mr. Bennett, you should go visit this man. Mr. Bennett says, I don't understand why I have to go. The second chapter is Mrs. Bennett um, going over and over and over about how terrible it is that their father won't even do this for them. Sighing and... Uh, uh, talking about the balls and maybe Sir Lucas will introduce them because you know their father won't ever go. And then he comes and he goes, oh, why would Sir Lucas do that for you? I mean, 
if you don't really ever want to be introduced to him, I guess you should have told me this morning because I've already gone and now you can't avoid yeah. knowing him. I'm sorry that you don't care what he's going to like because, man, we, so we got to go make a call on him again. And immediately she's in raptures. Like, I'll say this for Mrs. Bennett. She can't hold a grudge. No. Because, uh, like, as soon as you do something positive, she's like, oh, my gosh, you're the best. You have such a good father. Hooray. We're going to be introduced to this this rich man and he'll marry one of you. Absolutely. Um, at the mall. At the mall. At the mall at Barrington. At the ball at Barrington. We'll get to meet Mr. Bingley for the very first time. Yes, and there have been all these rumors flying through that he went to London and he brought back a huge party of people. And some people are saying, like, five ladies and two gentlemen, and some are saying seven 24 ladies. 24 women and seven 20, men. And yeah. And, like, all the, the, the reality is he has brought back two ladies, both of whom are his sisters, and two gentlemen. One is his sister's husband, and one is... Mr. Darcy. Oh, Mr. Darcy. So so we have, we've got in this party, we have Charles Bingley, who is the rich eligible gentleman. We have his sister, Caroline, who is single and conniving. We have his sister, Louisa, who is married to Mr. Hurst. And then, of course, we have Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy. Fitzwilliam is an awful name. No, it's not. It's not a good name. Look, I'm biased, and I love that name. And Colonel Fitzwilliam later, love him too. I think it's weird that Darcy has a cousin whose last name is Fitzwilliam, and then his parents gave him the first name of Fitzwilliam. I think they just did it to be confusing. I, yeah, probably. But in so much of the canon, non-canon, in so much of the fan fiction, I guess, is it still fan fiction if it's published? I got into an argument yeah. about that with someone on the Jane Austen fan page that I belong to on Facebook. Um, in so much of it, they refer to another cousin who is D'Arcy. Like D That's apostrophe so Arcy. That's so dumb. I know. So he's D'Arcy. He is like the head of a clan and he is like the bigwig of the family. So there's someone higher than uh de Berg. but wow. they they mentioned like there are so many novels that mention this like other cousin and i think it's to try to normalize the sharing of names and it's just it's absurd yeah it's absurd and i that. love it but it's there it's there anyway um, so this this group of individuals is introduced to the community at this party and it is clear that all of them except Bingley feel that this community is beneath them. Their time is wasted by being here. Seriously, Charles, why did you take this house in the country? This is awful and we hate it. They basically walked into like the local dance hall where everybody knows everybody and has known everybody forever. All the music stops when they walk in. And everybody's staring at them and everybody wants to talk at them and with them and dance with them and know what they're all about. And these people are just like, silent. 
Listen, it's an introvert's nightmare. And so, you know what? Reading this as an adult, like, I feel for Darcy. I feel for him. Because I would also be very awkward in that situation. So awkward. And, yeah, so Charles Bingley can make friends wherever he goes. He's nice. He's sweet. He's open. He's friendly. He takes pleasure in all of the dancing. He says frequently that he's never had more fun. He's never met pleasanter or prettier girls. Uh, He's just enjoying himself so much. And nobody else from his party is at all. It should it should be noted that Mr. Hurst doesn't enjoy anything. Well, no, he's neither do the Bingley sisters like Caroline and Louisa. Well, Caroline likes making fun of people and Louisa likes something. But Mr. Hurst is always disagreeable. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. They don't like anything. But, but Bingley the, is... the Bennets are introduced. Bingley dances with Jane. He's very taken with her. But the problem is that at this party, there are, are more women than men, which means that not all of the young ladies can dance every dance. So during one dance, Elizabeth is sitting down because there's not enough men to have a, for her to have a partner. She overhears this conversation between Bingley and Darcy. Where Bingley's like, Darcy, stop standing against the wall. I will have you dance. You must dance. I can't. You took the only pretty chick. Well, her sister's kind of hot. She's got a sister. She's got a sister sitting right there, and she's pretty too. And Darcy goes, she is handsome, I suppose. She's she is tolerable, <laughs> but not handsome enough to tempt me. It's like so mean. She's tolerable, I suppose. I'm not to give consequence to ladies who other men shunted by other men. <laughs> like he's just, oh, what a prick! What a prick! And so, like, yeah, this is Elizabeth's he, first impression. And if this was me, I would do the same thing. I'd be like, oh wow, hmm, awesome, awesome sauce. Uh, fuck you and everything you stand for. Yeah, so she hears this. She overhears this conversation. And then she, she's she got, like, two choices. She's like, I can be mad about this or I can laugh at it. And we're told frequently through the novel that her disposition is to laugh at things. <laughs> and so she just goes over to her sister and her friend Charlotte. And she's like, guess what this dickwad just said to me? <laughs> and she's able to just, in a really short amount of time, like, throw it back at him. Because he will come back over to her and does she says something about not being very tolerable or something like that. She throws his words back in his face. Yeah. And I love it. They yeah. Her like, his, no, that's at a, that's at a house. That's at another one. Dinner. That's another party later on. That's another uh, party. Where there's, there's a lot of dancing. Trying to get Darcy to dance is like a frequent thing. And so there's a later party where Sir Lucas hosts a, the dance and he's trying to convince Darcy like, Oh, here, here's Elizabeth Bennett walking by. I must see the two of you dancing. And Elizabeth's like, yeah, no, thanks. And Darcy's like, well, I mean, if you, if you wanted to, we could dance, I suppose. And she's like, do not suppose I moved this way in search of a partner. I'm not, I'm not dancing with you. I'm only tolerable. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So she spurns him frequently enough to know. She does. the way she acts towards him, her sassy level is 
flirty and amazing, but I don't know if it's enough to make me want to like marry her. I don't know. Uh, for mm. me, because um, you know, I did, I did. We're gonna call it research in preparation for this by sitting down and watching the entire 1995 Pride and Prejudice. Um, oh yeah, research, research. Because, yeah, research. Of course, I did. Um, and I absolutely love. I love Colin Firth and Jennifer L. They're quintessential Elizabeth and Darcy. They're both so good. And the way that this scene is played is amazing because after this interaction happens, she gets up, she walks past him, and Colin Firth does such great face acting because you can see as she walks past that he did not realize she was there. He has that moment of, oh, shit, was she in audible... Like, did you hear what I said? Maybe she didn't. Maybe this is just coincidence. And then he sees her over talking to Charlotte. She just glances over him and then she bursts out laughing. And he's like, yeah, she she heard me. She did. I got to deal with that now. It It is an impeccable moment. It is an impeccable moment. And I think I think part of it is that Darcy's never had somebody laugh at him before because Darcy we haven't mentioned is twice as rich as Bingley he has 10,000 a year which in today's terms is like $800,000 like it's like a lot of he's, money he's got a good amount of money he does um and so at first all of the mamas are like forget Bingley get your paws on Darcy and then when they all see how horrible he is they're like never mind we hate him it doesn't matter how rich he is so it and it is important to note that when he comes into the neighborhood he is universally disliked by the end of this party disliked everybody hates him when the ball is over and they go home they're giving Mrs. Bennett is giving Mr. Bennett like a blow by blow of the party and he's sitting there going I didn't go to this party for a reason, and it's because I don't care. <laughs> I wish Mr. Bingley hadn't danced with anybody, so you'd shut up. <laughs> and then Mrs. Bennet is like, but Mr. Darcy slighted Lizzie. And Mr. Bennet's like, slighted my Lizzie, did he? <laughs> oh, no. Not my daughter. Not, Not my daughter. So the next bit of news... It's pretty impressive. Like, it's it's a big deal. Because Mrs. Phillips has news that the regiment is coming. The regiment is coming to Meryton. Ooh, the regiment is coming to Meryton. What a good thing for Mrs. Bennett's daughters to have all of these soldiers, militiamen, all And it's not like the, the, the gross common soldiers. It's no, no. the officers. It, yep. So we get introduced to Colonel Denny, Captain Denny, Captain Denny, Captain Denny and Sanderson. It's Colonel Forster. It's his regiment. Right. And they've come and, to stay at Meriton. And Lydia and Kitty are officer crazy. It is all they talk about. It is all they think about. Yeah, it's gross. And obnoxious. And if they were my sisters, I probably would have thrown them in the pond. Like, yeah. But it's what you should expect from 15 and 16 year old girls. It's they true. see a pretty man in a coat and they want to chase after him. Yeah. He's in regimentals and they love it. 
And this, this is a, a good bit after the Bingleys and Darcy have come to, to, uh, Meryton. And so there, there have been some more parties. They're pretty well established. Uh, Bingley is like all gone on Jane. He's all in in that pot, but he's like 100%. That's, that's the girl right there. And Charlotte has this great conversation with Lizzie about, um, hey, do you think maybe Jane should like be a little bit more responsive to Bingley who's showering her with attention? No, she's just shy. You gotta let her be shy. So Charlotte, Charlotte Lucas is one of my favorite characters to like study and think about. Um, because she's, she's the girl's best friend. Yes. Jane and Elizabeth, Charlotte Lucas is older. She's like 27. She's 27 and not married. And not married. <gasps> she's on, on the shelf. Like she is on the shelf. She is set up to be a spinster. But she's smart. Mm-hmm. And she's reasonable. And she's not romantic. She says that at one point. Yeah. She's not a romantic, but she's reasonable. And so she looks at, I think she looks in amusement at the Bennett family for the most part. Probably. Because they're insane. Yeah. Um, yes. But yeah, she, she tells Lizzie that it's better for a woman to act like she is more in love with a man than she really is. So that the man can feel her affections because they're a little dim and they don't see it. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth keeps trying to argue like, no, it's clear. It's clear that Jane likes him. And Charlotte's like, yeah, it's clear to us because we've known Jane for forever. But it's not necessarily clear to him. So she should be a little bit more forward in her affection. So they have that conversation, which is important to remember for later. Um, but, but so they're established in the neighborhood at this point. Some time has passed when the regiment comes, uh, another stranger comes to town who is tall and handsome and he's joining the regiment and Elizabeth is introduced to him. His name is Mr. Wickham, Mr. George Wickham. And she oversees an intriguing moment. Between Mr. George Wickham and Mr. Darcy, who rides by as they're having this introduction. These two gentlemen look at each other, they know each other, and they don't like each other. Nope. Bingley and Darcy are riding down the lane as the girls are coming back from Meryton, where they walk every day. A couple times a day sometimes. But... The girls are walking back, and they're walking back with Wickham and Denny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've just met him. So walking back with Wickham and Denny. And Bingley pulls up. He's talking. He's chatting. Jane's there, so he's super happy. And Darcy, after that look, rides away. Yep. He leaves. Just he doesn't say anything to anybody. No, nope. He just goes. And Lizzie is like... I want to know what happened. I want to know the juicy details. And Jane's Which is like, wonderful it's their because business. With no propriety, like the impropriety of Wickham is outstanding from just the beginning. Because as soon as Darcy rides away, they continue down the road 
and Wickham pulls like off to the side with Lizzie. They just met. Yes. And he's like, I suppose you want to know what that was all about, huh? And she's like, "Uh, I don't know. I guess if you want to tell me, yes. And he he spills this story to anybody who will listen as soon as they will listen. And what he tells her is that he grew up with Darcy. They were children together. Darcy's father loved him best and promised that he would be taken care of. And then when the old Mr. Darcy died, the new Mr. Darcy denied Wickham his inheritance, refused to give him a penny, threw him out into the street. Yep. He was supposed to have a living. But it was entailed to, you know, it was promised in just such a way that made it possible for him to ignore his father's wishes and dismiss Wickham, who now have to work for a living. Work for a living has to go into the regiment. And it's important to note that Wickham only shares this story after he just, do you know, are you familiar with that gentleman? Um, uh, How do you feel about him? Just out of curiosity. Oh, you don't like him? Okay, let me tell you the story then. And he shares it just with Elizabeth at first. And then as soon, like, like some more space will open up in the future. And he doesn't tell a whole lot of other people this story until Darcy's a little bit further out of the picture. And then he tells Mm -hmm. everybody. And then he tells everybody. So it becomes clear very quickly that there is a little something between Lizzie and Wickham. There's some flirtation going on. Um, she feels very, very positively toward him. Uh, her dislike of, we completely skipped Beth. I'm not how in the could book. We, no, how could we skip Jane and, and Lizzie staying at Netherfield? Oh, we did. That because happens before this. It does happen before. It does because when she meets Wickham, she says that she says that she spent three days under the same roof as Darcy. That's true. Okay. Oh my gosh, I can't even I can't even believe us. I can't what kind of Austin scholars are we? Ones that have read the book so much that we get the events out of order because it doesn't change anything. Okay. So rewind to pre Wickham. Pre Wickham. Um Jane gets an invitation. After the Lucas Lodge ball, or the Lucas Lodge dinner. Jane gets an invitation from Caroline and Louisa to go have dinner with them, but she's told specifically that the men won't be there. Mama Bennett says, no, 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 that won't fly. Here, instead of ordering the carriage, you want to ride on horseback. It's supposed to rain, and then they'll have to invite you to stay the night, and then you'll get to see Bingley. So... There is a lot of talk about how terrible of an idea this is. Much talk about that. No, 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 no. It's a great idea. And it works. It does work. It does work. But but Jane gets drenched on her way because she's riding horseback. And she catches a terrible cold. Um, And apparently people in England at this time just died from colds all the time. No, it's serious. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible affliction. I know every Dickens novel I've ever read, mm-hmm. um, they get a cold and die. I feel like the problem still happens in other places to this day. Because whenever yeah. I'm watching like a Korean drama, 
They get a little damp and then they get a terrible cold and they almost get terrible die. Colds. Terrible cold. Terrible so colds. they summon the doctor. She can't possibly be moved. No. Mama Bennett's like, this is all according to my plan. Perfect. And Elizabeth is like, okay, I'm going to show some like actual familial care and I'm going to go visit my sister. And her father's like, I'll order the carriage for you. She's like, no, no, no. It's only three miles. I can walk. Which so early, early in the morning. Whew, early in the morning, she walks three miles after a rainstorm. When she shows up, her petticoat her petty- and her skirts are all muddy. Six inches six deep inches in mud. Six inches deep. <laughs> six inches deep in mud. And Caroline and Louisa are horrified that she would do this. Walk three miles in the mud because her sister has a cold. How how dare Eliza Bennett? How well, dare she be in- so independent? Now there's another female in the house. So now we get the interplay between Elizabeth and her rival, Caroline Bingley. Jane how could we forget sick. this? It's so I important. know, it's so important. Jane is too sick to come down and like be social. And so it's just Elizabeth. And they invite her immediately. Charles Bingley invites her immediately. Like, you must stay with us as long as your sister is ill. Like, we'll send for your clothes, but I won't hear of either of you leaving this house until she is better. So Elizabeth is like forced to be a Elizabeth stays upstairs with her sister, as she Mm -hmm. should, but she has to eat. Yeah, she has to eat. So in the evenings, she does come down and she socializes. Caroline is one of these people who's like really good at being nice to you to your face, but like kind of a snide nice, like a, a... She's a mean girl. She is making fun of you, but you can't pin it on her. But when Eliza Bennett is out of the room, then she and Louisa are gossiping horribly and they're trying to get Darcy in on it because he always has these scathing, witty remarks. But at this point, he's starting to be intrigued by Elizabeth. And her fine eyes. And her fine eyes. He remarks on the fine eyes, like, really early on. Like, he disparages her to Bingley. And then, like, the next thing, Caroline's talking to him about, like, oh, someone said she's pretty. He's like, hmm, she's got nice eyes. It's like, it happens fast for this dude, is what I'm saying. And so Caroline keeps trying to make fun of him, tease him for having said that she has fine eyes. And she has to hear things she doesn't want to hear, like... Yeah, those fine eyes were just made all the brighter by the fact that she had some exercise this morning. She sparkled. I like she a woman did. who walks places. It's good. Yeah, and so there's a lot of important conversations that happen at Netherfield during this time. So there's there's a couple evenings of conversation. There's one where um, Darcy's trying to write a letter to his sister and Caroline won't leave him alone. And she's like, tell your sister how much I miss her. I already have. Tell her I long to see her again. I'm going to save that for the next letter because I don't think I could do it justice. Oh, I can't imagine how <laughs> tedious it must be to write business letters. Well, then it's a good thing it's my job and not yours. Like he shuts her down constantly. <laughs> Wants nothing to do with this conversation. No. You write so nice and pretty and long. I wish I got long letters. Hint, hint. And then her brother goes, I can never write long letters. I just write fast and it's terrible. Dirt, dirt, dirt. <laughs> like, Bingley, he's so sweet and so genuine and so derpy. And yes, I love him for it. But you get a good character study between the two. And you really see in these... <laughs> and you really see in these conversations that Darcy 
he's he's smart and he's witty and when he's comfortable he can be funny and he can be at ease um but you just don't see that side of him very often because he's a socially awkward turtle which again i understand <laughs> deeply yeah socially awkward turtle socially awkward little turtle yeah i love him he's a horrible a horrible person at the beginning of this in many ways but i i, I identify with the social awkwardness um, but there's a, an evening when Elizabeth is reading a book instead of playing cards. And Mr. Hurst is like, I can't believe you prefer books to cards. And Caroline's like, oh, she's a great reader and takes pleasure in nothing else. And Elizabeth's like, um, that's horseshit. I like learn a lot of stuff. things. And then at one point, Caroline's like, let's take a walk around the room, a turn around the room. Because apparently back in the day. You just walk around the room sometimes. So I, whenever I am reading books from this period and they talk about like taking a turn around the room or what they do with their evenings, because it always sounds so like, why would you do that <laughs> with your yeah. evening? Why, why are we all standing around a piano singing? This is strange. There's no radio. There's no TV. You can read a exactly. book. You can play some cards. You can stare into the dark void that is the lack of technology. Like, it It reminds me when the lights go out. <laughs> so, yeah. so here's the thing. What, what I really like about these scenes at Netherfield is that if you're reading the book, knowing the story, you can see why Darcy thinks what he does about Elizabeth and her feelings for him. Because yeah. in these situations, he's more relaxed than he is in public at the balls because it's a smaller group of people that he knows. He hears her kind of bantering back and forth with Caroline. And so when she asks him to walk, asks her to walk around the room and he's like, She's like, will you join us, Mr. Darcy? And he's like, no, because I see through your objective and I understand your purpose. And she's like, what on earth do you mean? Miss Bennett, we must ask him what he means. And Miss Bennett's like, nah, it'd be better to just ignore him and not give him an opening. And he says this bit about, like, either you're in each other's confidence or you are aware that your figures appear to the best advantage while walking. If it's the first, I'd be in the way. And if it's the second, I can admire you much better from here. Caroline wants to punish him, and Elizabeth says the best punishment is to laugh at him. Is to laugh at him. And so they're having this, like, this kind of rapport back and forth, because he and Elizabeth then have this exchange about, like, virtues and faults and flaws and pride and vanity. And, like, you can see where he would walk away from that going, okay, there was a connection there. You know, she bantered with me. I teased her. She teased back. Obviously, there are positive feelings here. You can see where he makes that mistake. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where he makes that mistake. Um, there is, I'm not saying his first proposal is handled well because it it's not. It is but flirting. It's flirting. These two are flirting. And she doesn't think she's flirting. She thinks she's being sassy and mean. Um, but... I think that's because she's young and hasn't watched it. But yeah. if if that were me watching two of my friends, I'd be like, ooh, that, that's a love connection. Yeah. And she will figure it out. 
She will. She'll get there. But but so the scenes at Netherfield are important. Um, eventually Jane gets well and they are able to go home again. Uh, but the fact that she spent this time with Darcy having these conversations and getting to know him is important to set up. So now we can fast forward back to post Wickham. So now we've met Wickham. We've heard this account of Darcy, which fuels Lizzie's fire against him. Because now not only is he cold and aloof and disdainful, now he has this horrible past where he's treated this man awfully. He has no redeeming qualities. She can't stand him. So while Jane was getting better, Bingley promised Lydia that she could name the date of a ball to be held at Netherfield. But before the Netherfield ball, (gasps) the Bennets get a very important visitor. It's true. It's true. So who is the most repugnant character in Jane Austen to you? Oh, well, I have a different answer than the one you want me to give, but this leads into my heckling husband story that I told you about. So... As I'm, you know, reading this book and I'm mentioning it in other places um, on my other podcast, I had somebody ask me from who listened to that, who asked me, which Austin man would I most want to marry? And I was mentioning to Chase that I had gotten this question. And I said, and of course, you know the answer, because this particular Austin man has been my fictional husband since college. And you would think that my husband would pay attention to such things. And he looks at me and he goes, Mr. Darcy? And I went, no, not Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy is the third Austin man that I would marry. He ranks third on the list. (laughs) Who's number two? Knightley from Emma. Mm -hmm. Number one is Henry Tilney from Northanger Abbey, in case anybody was curious. Oh, Um, I thought we were going to build to it. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 Beth. No. I said it was a heckling husband story. And so after guessing Mr. Darcy, he looks at me and goes, Mr. Collins? Is that just the first name he thought of? It is. It's because he doesn't know the name of Jane Austen characters. But I looked at him and I had like a sweater in my hand. and I threw my sweater down and I went, I have never been more insulted by you in my entire life. And I turned around and I stormed out of the bedroom. Because Mr. Collins is repugnant. You're going to say Mr. Tilney's father, aren't you? Is that your most repugnant person? I'm going to say Henry Crawford. You know how I feel about Henry Crawford. We've talked about this. We've talked about this. We have. I I don't think Henry Crawford is nearly as bad as... Oh, he's so awful. But no, so... But I think he had a moment where he could have been good. Mm -mm. But that's a terrible... Like... Nope. When we talk about... That's a terrible Jane Austen novel. Please remember, it's still like a Jane Austen novel, and I enjoy it. But it's probably one of my, like, it's further it's, down the list. It's on the bottom of my list. It's, it's on Mansfield the bottom Park. of my list. For those of you who aren't well-versed in the Austen canon of characters, Henry Crawford is from Mansfield Park. Uh, but, so we, Mr. Collins is the distant cousin on whom Longbourn, the Bennett's house, has been entailed. Entailment? Entailment? Sorry. <laughs> Are you channeling your inner Mrs. Bennett? Always. Always. In always. high school, the only roles I was ever given on stage were the crazy moms. Mm-hmm. So I really get Mrs. Bennett. Absolutely. Mr. Collins 
his father has died. He has taken a living. He is deciding to reach out to his cousin, Mr. Bennett, and say, listen, I know that you and my father had beef. I want to extend an olive branch. I want to, in the interest of, like, unity, come and meet your family, get to know you and your uh, your five eligible daughters. How many? Five? five? How many? Five? You have five? Um, and, and the fact that my patroness has suggested that I get married is in no way underscoring this visit. So he comes. He's a pastor. He's icky. He's icky. He's not like sleazeball icky. He's just like annoying icky. No. I mean, eventually he becomes like his letters after Lydia are kind of sleazy. Oh, no. They're, they are. But he's like supercilious rather yes. than like manipulative. He I is don't. He's a sycophant. He's a sycophant. I don't consider him one of the skis balls that Jane Austen wrote. Henry Crawford is skeezier. Yes, he is. But slimy, just like, ugh. Yeah. Mr. Collins is just... He's unpleasant. He's unpleasant. And he clearly has come with the intention of finding a daughter from this household. Which, I mean, on the surface of it... Kind of makes sense. And Mrs. Bennett's gunning for it because if Mr. Collins marries one of her daughters, then the estate will stay in the family and that daughter can help take care of the rest of the family when Mr. Bennett dies. I also love that at one point, Mr. Bennett finally snaps when she's mentioning this and he goes, hey, you know, not for nothing, but you might die first. Like, (laughs) can we entertain the notion that I might outlive you? Well, it's... it's the way he puts it, too, it's, there, she's talking in one of her long diatribes about how she and her his children will just be thrown to the streets, fending for themselves, no friend in the world. Hopefully my brother will take us in. And Mr. Bennett just kind of gives her like, I really hope that that doesn't happen to you. Maybe we can hope that I'm the survivor. So he just kind of like, I hope you die first, bitch. Like... Oh, he's funny. I don't want him to be my dad, but he's funny. Yeah. Maybe, maybe if we hope and things just go our way, I'll be the one to live longer. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Mrs. Bennett but- does absolutely believe that she, that Mr. Bennett is going to die first. She will be destitute. And Mr. Collins is terrible. Until, at a family dinner, he mentions... That he's come to marry someone. He's come to marry someone. And there's a conversation in the garden that he has with Mrs. Bennett where he's like, your eldest daughter is very beautiful. And Mrs. Bennett's like, yeah, she's practically engaged to this rich dude, though. And then Mr. Collins goes, your second oldest daughter, Elizabeth, is very beautiful. beautiful. (laughs) And Mama Bennett's like, yes, let's encourage that. There is a Bennett daughter who would have been perfect for Mr. Collins. Mary. Mary! I know we've talked a little bit about Lydia and Kitty and how crazy, boy crazy they are. Mary Bennett is the epitome of a middle child. As a middle child, I have to concur on that a little bit. But no, she's, she's bookish, she reads, she plays the piano, she studies, she's like, doesn't like parties... Um, and she's constantly like giving these morality lessons to her sisters. 
And I've seen, so I've seen Mary Bennett played in a couple different ways. And there's actually a Mary Bennett novel that I haven't read that I keep meaning to, but Mary Bennett's so uninteresting that I don't get around to it. That's fair. But um, she gives these lectures in the same, like one of my favorite ways I've seen it played is that she's not invited to the party. So she gives a lecture about how the party was terrible to begin with. Or so her, it's not that her morality is like super stodgy and by like any kind of textbook. It's that she wasn't going to get asked to dance anyway. So dancing is of the devil. And we shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So that seems like it would be a good match. But I don't think Mr. Collins is interested in Mary. I think he wants a a pretty wife. I don't, I don't think he cares who it is. I think he's just going down an order of preference. Like, yeah. Like you should start with the oldest and then the second. Yeah. But if Mrs. Bennett had thought for a moment about how her girls actually are. The next, like, couple of things could have been avoided. Yes. So Mr. Collins is determined to uh, marry Elizabeth. And so then uh, the Netherfield Ball happens while while Mr. Collins is in town and the invitation is extended to him. And he's, like, very pleased by that and honored by that. And at the Netherfield Ball, several things go badly. Wrong. So first of all, Lizzie and Darcy are, Darcy asks Lizzie to dance. He surprises her. She can't think of a good reason to say no, so she says yes. And then immediately is angry about it to Charlotte. She's like, why did I agree to dance with him? And Charlotte's like, it's a half an hour of your life. You'll be fine. I, like, it's a half an hour of your life. And they mention it several times. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a set of dances, a set of two dances. And so each dance is about 15 minutes long. I have never danced for a half hour straight. Well, and it's important to remember that these are like essentially fancy line dances. It's not like you're waltzing for a solid half an hour. There's a lot of standing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of standing. You're right. You're right. It's a quadrille. It's a lot of standing. And it's because this was one of the only ways that young women and young men could actually talk to each other and get to know each other in a way that was proper. It's true. Everybody could see you were in the middle of the dance floor. Yeah. Um, And if, I mean, we've all watched Bridgerton, so we know (laughs) that these dances can be quite sensual. Quite sensual. He touched touched her shoulder blade, her bare shoulder blade with his fingers. Just the tips. That was ridiculous. Just the tips. Oh my gosh. Like... Seriously, there are sex scenes. There are outright sex scenes in Bridgerton. And that was like the most heated, I got to fan myself moment of the entire series. Like, I need a man to take my glove off that slowly. Yes. Forget the, forget the library scene, which I also need. I need a man to take my glove off that slowly. And just skirt his fingertips down your spine. Just perfect. Beautiful. Perfect. Anyway. And there are many, many of the Jane Austen adaptations to film play with that mm-hmm. slight touch. The hand touch, you know, because the whole thing is everybody wore gloves all of the time. Like there was really no skin to skin contact until you were married. 
And then it was all the skin to skin content. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, or if you're Lydia. so so <laughs> Lizzie and Darcy are dancing and they have like this fantastic iconic conversation um on the dance floor <laughs> about, you know, about it, conversation. About conversation. Like, it's your turn to say something pleasant. She's, like, berating Darcy for not making good small talk. And he's like, I hate small talk. Which, again, I feel that in my soul. But it's a, I've commented on the number of couples in the room. Now it is your turn to say something about the weather. And I love this because... Private balls are, as opposed to public ones. This is not the only conversation like this that Jane Austen wrote. She also wrote a very similar conversation in Northanger Abbey between Tilney and Catherine, where Tilney is making fun of the rules of society. And, and I love it. They are so strict mm -hmm. that even to this day, we know those rules mm -hmm. from that society. I do. I would assume that most people do. Uh, I mean, clearly the people who film adaptations of Persuasion have no idea because they're always kissing in the middle of the bath streets. Right? Yeah. Come on. Happens. It's ridiculous. Every single one. And every single one. Every single one. Every single one. Have some propriety. Okay. Come on. Anyway. By the way, Chris knows when I'm reading a Jane Austen novel because <laughs> my use of the word propriety goes up by a lot. <laughs> That's valid. <laughs> 100%. But so we have we have that conversation and that's like basically the last moment when things are going well at this party. Because then Dinner. Bingley is like, let's have some music. And the intention is that his sister is going to go play. And instead, Mary Bennett swoops in with her concertos and she like starts playing and singing and she can't sing very well. And it's embarrassing. Well, and then she finishes one song and launches into another one. And so Mary Bennett is proficient. Mm -hmm. She's very technically good at singing and playing. But it's noted, uh, like, all the way back at the Lucas Lodge dinner, that Mary's good, but Elizabeth, who's not as good, is more enjoyable. Yes, so Mary more enjoyable is just, to listen to. There's no soul there. Um, but she so wants people to pay attention to her. Yeah. But she does it anyway. Her. So she goes and she, you know, is playing. And then Mr. Bennett goes over and, like, in front of everybody, he's, like, calls her away from the piano in a way that's, like, a little really off-putting. Yeah. Mrs. Bennett you is delighted talking. delighted long enough. Yeah. Mrs. Bennett is talking to all of these people about, like, yeah, any day now Bing's gonna pro Bingley's going to propose. And that's going to throw all my girls in the paths of other rich young men. And Lydia's, like, running around flirting with everybody. And, like, all of the Bennets except Jane and Elizabeth are making absolute yes. fools of themselves. And then oh. Mr. Collins finds out that Mr. Darcy is the nephew of his patroness, Lady Catherine de Bourgh. And so without having been introduced to him, he goes over to talk to Mr. Darcy. Which... Is the height of impropriety. Height of impropriety. Height of impropriety. To the point where Darcy literally like stares at him in shock and then gets up and leaves. He is so overwhelmed by the insult of that moment. I 
would like that part of the Regency era to come Where, back. when you get because insulted, I you think can just, that like, when stand people come up and just talk to me for no reason, I should be able to be like, who are you? Why are you We have not been introduced. And leave. I agree. It might Let's stop bring that back. People. Exactly. I get yelled at a lot at work. So when I'm not at work, I feel like nobody should talk to me. Unless I know you. Yeah. So I, I, I do. Oh, it, that is a good feeling. When he just just like, I can't even with this little guy. Yeah. I've got to leave. So oh. the Netherfield ball is an awful disaster. And then the next day, Mr. Collins is like, hey, Mrs. Bennett, I'd like to speak to Elizabeth alone, if you don't mind. And Elizabeth is like, ah, oh, fuck. Please don't. Fuck, please. Fuck, please fuck, don't. Fuck. Please don't. Uh, but he does. And he makes the most oh, it's terrible. self-absorbed proposal in the world. Lady Catherine de Bourgh desires that I marry. So I figured, why not you? <laughs> I think it's going to be good for me to have a wife. You'll take care of me. Darn my socks. It's almost Gaston level. Yeah, no, terrible it's, proposal. It's so bad. And then Elizabeth's like, um, I'm honored. I'm saying that because I'm supposed to. That's what the rules say. Uh, but hell no. Well, now I hear that young ladies often say no just to drive the fervor of the men that they secretly want to accept. Yeah, so I'm not doing that. I'll just ask I'm again later. I'm not doing later. that. The answer is no. The answer will always no, it, be no. It's no. No, it's, it's yes. It's not. Yes, it's no. I'm going to go talk to your parents and make it yes. Uh, I'm going to leave the room so that I don't have to be part of this anymore. Okay, see you later, sweetheart. So... It's so bad. Collins then does go to Mrs. Bennett and is like, she won't marry me. It's a, you know what? And Mrs. Coll- and Mrs. Bennett goes, oh, what a headstrong girl. Oh, yes, yeah, she will be. And he's like, uh, if she's headstrong, I don't really want her. <laughs> and Mrs. Bennett's like, did I say headstrong? I meant, I meant no, you can train that out of her. She's super, yeah. super polite to everybody else. In the middle of all of this, Charlotte Lucas comes to visit Lizzie and Lydia and not? Kitty tell her what's going on. And she's like, oh, should I invite Mr. Collins to my house for dinner? Yes. And they're like, yes, please. Get him So out. he leaves with Charlotte Lucas. Mrs. Bennett is in hysterics. And she demands that Mr. Bennett make Lizzie marry Mr. Collins or she will never speak to Lizzie again. Well, Lizzie, you've got a choice in front of you. From this day forward, you must be a stranger to one of your parents. For your mother says she'll never speak to you again if you don't marry Mr. Collins. And if you do, I'll never talk to you again. I love it. And Lizzie goes, thank you, Dad, for being a reasonable human being. And and it should be noted that, like, throughout this whole thing with Mr. Collins coming, uh, Mr. Bennett loves to delight in the ridiculous. And he has high hopes that Mr. Collins will be utterly ridiculous. And Mr. Collins oh, is, and, yes. and he loves it. Except when Mr. Collins insists on going into his library and won't leave. And he does. And then a lot. Mr. Bennett's like, okay, no, I'm over this. Mr. Bennett over likes... This. And he has been the only man in this house full of 
just insanity, right? <laughs> and so he is allowed, as a man, to have like a space. It's just his. Nobody's allowed in this library. And so like all dads who just want to be left alone and study for World War II quizzes that they're never going to take, he wants to sit in his room and read books all day. Mr. Collins tries to join him. Yeah. But he doesn't read. And now he, now he, he has talks. to talk. And Mr. Collins never <laughs> shuts up. No, he doesn't. So, <sighs> three days after he proposes to Lizzie, the news comes that Mr. Collins has asked Charlotte Lucas to marry him. So, before we go too much further down that road, let's take a second. Now, remember... This is the day after the Netherfield Ball. A lot of stuff happens. Mr. Collins proposes to Lizzie and she says no. But also, all of the party at Netherfield leaves. Without warning. Without warning. They're just gone. So Bingley was Bingley was going to go to town anyway. So Bingley left the morning after to go to town like he had planned to. And by that evening, Mr. Darcy and the sisters have packed up. And they are also gone. Yes. So they all left super fast. Um, and there's, like, throughout the Netherfield Ball, it gets more and more apparent that Bingley and Jane are really into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just this terrible moment at the very end of the ball where, like, Mrs. Bennett found a way to make their carriage the last brought around. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how she manipulates the situation, she but she does. So the sisters are very unhappy. And they take off and they leave. So I think that's important going into the fact that Charlotte Lucas is now engaged to Mr. Collins. Yeah. That Jane's prospect has just fled the neighborhood. Yep. So Mrs. Bennett... Is the worst she'll be in a while. Yeah. Yeah, she's not happy. And so Lizzie is absolutely gobsmacked. And she basically like sits Charlotte down. She's like, Charlotte, what is this? Tell me this is false. Like, tell me you are not marrying Mr. Collins. I am. I'm not a romantic. I'm 27. So um, depictions of Charlotte Lucas usually have her. And maybe this is something I'll pin. Depictions of Charlotte Lucas because um, I don't know, I haven't checked our time in a while, but I'm sure we'll go uh, We're at an hour ten. We should probably okay. start speeding closer to the end. All right, so I'm going to make a pen about depictions of Charlotte Lucas. Okay, I got it. So Charlotte Lucas is like, I'm not a romantic person. There's not a lot of time left for me, and I think I have as much chance as anybody at being happy in my marriage. You don't know if you're going to stay in love with someone that you were in love with. I'm going to marry him. And this is it. Lizzie, get off your high horse. She's got a great line about like, uh, what are you so shocked that he could win another woman's affections after he was so unlucky as to lose yours? Like, and, and, and big... Lizzie's like, no, I would just like you to have standards. <laughs> Yeah. And this is a big point of contention between the two friends because they have been best friends. Oh, yeah. And Charlotte stands her ground and Lizzie's like, I feel like all intimacy I had with you is gone. I don't even know who you are anymore. Like she is being a big 
baby. She is. She is. Because she thinks that Mr. Collins is a terrible person and that she doesn't want her friend to marry him. She's not thinking about what her friend wants at all. Yeah. And she just doesn't want to have to go visit this guy. And like Charlotte makes a really good point about, you know, I'm a burden on my family. I've got so many siblings and he's got a steady job. He's got a house. He can provide for me. Like I will be comfortable there. And yeah. If I'm thinking about my future and, you know, I don't want to be a destitute spinster, this is an offer and it's a good one and I'm going to take it. And so, yeah, she leaves, but they do make up before she ends up, before she marries Mr. Collins and she makes Lizzie promise that when her father and sister come to visit her in March, that Lizzie will come to visit as well. So, meanwhile, we've gotten a letter from Caroline Bingley to Jane Bennett that says, hey, yeah, we're not coming back to town. Yep. Also. Charles Charles is so uh, happy about being where he's at. He likes being in town. Georgiana's going to be here. Georgiana Darcy, they're so close. And I can't wait for the day when I get to call Georgiana's sister. She's such a bitch. She's awful. And through the whole novel up to this point, Lizzie has been like, hey, uh, Caroline Bingley's a bitch. And Jane's like, no, no, no. She's not that bad once you get to know her. I promise. And this letter, Jane's like, okay, she's a bitch. <laughs> she's, she's a bitch and I don't like her. And so, like, there's no explanation. Bingley just left. Never said anything to Jane Never said anything to anybody. They're just gone and they're not coming back. And nobody understands what happened or why they left. Lizzie convinces Jane that she should go to London for Christmas uh, with their aunt and uncle. And while she's there, maybe you stop by Bingley's house and are like, hey, just maybe some in. clarity. You know. But when... When Jane goes to London, she does stop by the house. She never sees Bingley. She sees Caroline once, but it's awkward, and it's clear that Caroline doesn't actually like her. And the whole trip is basically a bust. Yeah. She comes back home, and the gardeners, who are the London aunt and uncle, Mm -hmm. bring a bevy of children with them. Yeah. They're... There's weird kid swapping that happens throughout this thing that just makes me go, what the, what the hell are all these kids? Uh, and maybe it's because I'm an adult and a parent now that I'm like, oh, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of children. Why are there so many children in this house? Because I really want to like leave my children at my brother's house and then go on a tour of the lake country with someone. Well, that happens that's later. not my children. But yes, their children come in there around a lot. But in the midst of all of this... Um, Wickham has moved his attentions from Lizzie to another girl named Mary King because Mary King oh, just came oh, into such a terrible freckled little thing. Terrible freckled little thing. But she's just come into some money. And Lydia is horrified by this. Like, how could he possibly turn you over for her? And Lizzie's like, well, you know, everybody's got to have money to really live care. on. And it's it's mentioned that because of Charlotte's situation, she is more open and amenable to that. 
Um, so she's not like brokenhearted about it. Like she and George were flirting a little bit, but they're not like attached at the hip. Nothing there is going to yeah. happen. But then the we March get to comes. we get to March. She's going to go visit Charlotte and Mr. Collins at Hunsford, and that means that she gets to meet Lady <gasps> Catherine Catherine de Burr. De Burr. And her daughter, Anne. And Lady Catherine de Bourgh is Mr. Darcy's aunt. Anne is his cousin. And Lizzie has been told that they have been promised to each other. It's the special wish of both of their mothers. Both of their mothers. And Anne de Bourgh is ill and sick and kind of frail. And Lizzie's like, hmm, good, yes, yes. Beautiful match for him. I hope you end up with this frail whining thing this pale thing and she's lady, super petty about it she is. and it's the whole so darcy is there like he shows up he shows for up. his yearly visit at the same time because it's she easter like they're there at easter Just, yeah and he shows up for his visit along with his cousin uh colonel fitzwilliam C- colonel fitzwilliam and at first <laughs> lucy goes Huh. I like that Fitzwilliam guy. He's real nice. He sure talks pretty. And so she kind of like flirts with him. But while flirting with him, she ends up flirting with Darcy. Mm -hmm. Because Darcy's there. He's there. And And I actually, I like, there's this scene where she's playing the piano and Colonel Fitzwilliam is there. And then Darcy comes over and she's like, you're not going to intimidate me by standing in front of me while I'm playing the piano. And, uh, Colonel Fitzwilliam's like, hey, why don't you give me the details on what kind of person he was when he was out in the country? And she's like, oh, no, 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 it's shocking. Um, He went to a dance where there were not enough gentlemen and he didn't dance with anybody. And Darcy's like, well, I didn't know anybody. And she's like, yeah, and people can never be introduced in a ballroom. (laughs) And he's like, well, I don't have the gift that some people do of conversing easily with people I don't know. And she's got the greatest, like, response to that, which she says... I don't play this instrument as well as I want to, but I've always supposed that to be my own fault because I won't practice. And it's It's so good. good. It's such good, witty banter flirting. And again, I can see why Darcy, like, takes these conversations as... Well, and there's interest there. This is the reason that everybody loves Elizabeth Bennet, are these moments. She is so quick. And so witty. And that's why we all love her. It's true. Okay. But so so, so they're there. And uh, at one point she's talking to Colonel Fitzwilliam. And he's trying to like talk Darcy up. He's like trying to wingman a little bit. And he's like, look, he cares about his friends a lot. And like, she's like, do you know Mr. Bingley? And he goes, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. Because... Darcy got Bingley out of some trouble a little while ago because he cares about him so much. Like, he was attached to this girl who was apparently, like, horrible bad news, and Darcy talked him out of marrying her. Dodged that bullet, am I right? Huh? What do you mean? Well, and... Fitzwilliam tries to, like, backpedal. He's like, well, it might might not have been Darcy. It might not have been Bingley. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's who it was or not. Um, and she's like, so, well, what was the objection? He goes, eh, there's some, like, problems with her family or something. And Lizzie's like, oh, really? 
well, maybe, maybe we don't know all the particulars and maybe it wasn't that bad. And Fitzwilliam kind of digs the hole deeper. He's like, well, yeah, but then Darcy wouldn't have, you know, been, wouldn't have been such a good move for him with his friend if it wasn't that bad, if it was a misunderstanding. So nope, dodged a bullet. Sure. Dad, sure should be glad Dad, that he like interfered with his friend's so, life and talked about marrying this random girl. So Lizzie is so She's pissed. seething. So pissed that she does what every girl does. She fakes a headache to get out of going to dinner with a dude. Because she's supposed to go up to um, up to Rosings. Rosings and have dinner. And so she's like sitting at home, like writing a letter stewing. to Jane, stewing about this. And who should appear? But who should burst? Who should barge into the room? But Mr. But Darcy. Mr. Darcy. He's like, I came to inquire after your health. They said you were sick. Well, then, okay, why are you bothering her? And she's like, I'm fine. What do you want? He's you like, must allow me to tell you. My feel- In I'll, vain I have struggled. I'll- it will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. And then he goes on this big speech. He's like, listen, I know that my family is going to have a huge problem with it. It's an incredible move down the social ladder for me. This is a really bad idea. And I've tried to talk myself out of it, but I can't. So I'm hoping you will put me out of my agony and agree to marry me, even though your family's horrible. And really, this is probably going to be a horrible mistake. What do you say? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Next, please. No. Uh, I hope that with all of the things that you just said that you didn't like about me, uh, I hope you can get over me pretty quick. Um, Okay, that was super rude, what you just said. And if I were a different kind of person, I would demand an explanation for why you're being so uncivil in this refusal. Well, if I were a different kind of person, I would want to know why you decided to pose with me without any kind of civility at all. You just decided to walk in here and tell me how much... My family is terrible. How you struggled in vain against your feelings. How you don't even want to love me, but you do. Get over it and get out. Um, also, you ruined my sister's life. Uh, and you fucked up Wickham's. So. And she she says, do you deny that you ruined Jane's life? And he's like, I don't want to deny it. I'm proud of the fact that I split them up. Absolutely. I'm towards sorry him, you ruined your Towards him, life, I've been kinder than towards myself. It's just like, have you ever, you've been married to Chase for a while. Have you ever just handed him a shovel and watched him dig himself further and further into a hole? Further and further into this hole. And she's like, what about George Wickham? He's like, what about George Wickham? And, and he's like, huh. And this is your opinion of me. Well, thank you for explaining it so eloquently. And he tries to turn it back on her and he's like, but maybe you wouldn't be in such a bad mood about it if I hadn't injured your pride by relating to you facts about your family. You can't expect me to be happy about tying my lot to theirs in asking you to marry me. And she's like, no, actually, I'm just Happy that you were so rude because it saves me from feeling any guilt at all that I would have felt if you'd been more like a gentleman. You could not have made me the offer of your hand in any way that would have induced me to accept it. Oh. (laughs) Oh, and that scene right there is the reason I really hate the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, just so you know. Like that scene. Yes. 
we'll get there. It's <laughs> such a good scene. the creepiest and best face you've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good scene. And he like storms out and he's so mad that he sits down and all night he writes this letter explaining himself to Elizabeth. And it's long. It's a long letter. And he, there's, there's a really hilarious bit from earlier in this section where Lizzie keeps running into Darcy on this favorite walk of hers through the woods. And it's really weird because she's made sure to tell him it's her favorite walk. And she doesn't understand why she keeps running into him there and why he wouldn't avoid it if he knew it was her favorite walk. Why is he always there? Lizzie, she's a little dense. She is so oblivious when it comes to to Darcy and his feelings like consistently throughout the novel she's like people everybody around her tries to tell her how it is and she's always like no you're completely completely wrong you're You're absolutely wrong but she's walking the next morning and she sees Darcy and she like literally does an about face and walks off in the other direction and he like comes running after he's like hey just I'm not gonna talk to you I just I wrote you a letter. Please read it. So she does. She doesn't even wait to get home. She starts reading it on her walk. Yeah. And the letter has two parts to it. And the first part is, you made this accusation for me against your sister. Yeah, look, I did. I broke up your sister and and Bingley because I watched her and I observed her and I couldn't see that she had anything more towards him than like basic regard and Bingley falls in love really easily and he's gotten hurt before and I didn't want him to get hurt this time and also your family I'm sorry I'm not trying to insult you you and Jane are not this bad but the rest of your family they they are kind of awful and they act with great impropriety and I've seen it and I'm sorry I'm not trying to cause you pain by saying it I'm like but this is a very real consideration. Your mother was going around constantly talking about what an advantageous match this would be. And I don't want my friend to marry somebody just for his money. And then the second half of the letter is, okay, I got to tell you what actually went down with Wickham. All right. So here's the tea. And he talks about how <laughs> Wickham, Wickham was, yeah, his dad's favorite. Um, and he was great to his dad. But as soon as they got to college together, like he started seeing Wickham being like not going to want to go into the clergy kind of guy. Like he was always living high. He was always doing stuff like girls. Yeah. So he was supposed to be a clergyman. And then he came to Darcy and said, I don't want to go into the church. Instead of giving me this living, will you give me 3000 pounds? Yep. He wants to go study the law. And Darcy's like, I so, didn't really believe that, but I wanted it to be true, so I gave him the money. He went uh, to study law, kind of, um, but eventually he ran out of money, and he didn't really want to practice law anymore, so he came back looking for more money, and I told him no. And he came back going, hey, can I have that living now? And Darcy's yeah. like, I, I gave it, the community needed a pastor, I gave it to somebody else, like... It can't no, just be without a rector. And so then in retribution for this denial, Wickham seduced Darcy's younger sister, Georgiana, who was 15 years old, and convinced her that she should elope with him. 
And the only reason that the elopement didn't happen is that Darcy showed up for a surprise visit. And Georgiana felt so guilty that she told him the whole story. He should have murdered him. But Darcy had too much pride. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to expose his sister. It was over. Georgiana, like, and this this didn't happen that long ago. No, it was like a like, year this ago. This was a summer it was like before. Right before they went to Netherfield. So this is fresh. Yeah. And yeah, it hasn't been long at all. But he, he didn't want to expose his sister to the censure of having this thwarted whatever it was, love affair, I guess. Uh, and so he just kept it all quiet. But now he's telling her she's really the only person he's told. But if she needs to kind of just double check to make sure he's not lying, he she can go talk to um, Colonel Fitzwilliam. Because he and Colonel Fitzwilliam have cup. like joint guardianship over Georgiana. Because Georgiana yeah. is like 12 years younger than than Darcy. He's been more of a father figure to her than an older brother. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I love... Elizabeth's reaction to this letter because I just love watching her logic slowly overtake her to a point where she can't ignore it anymore as much as she wants to because the first time she reads it she's like no this is bullshit and I don't care and then the more that she like actually going over the Wickham part over and over again she's like that does kind of track he wouldn't make something like this up about his sister like he would do a lot of horrible things but he would not slander his sister he's telling me to go to colonel fitzwilliam who i trust i kind of have to believe the wickham's part's true but the part with jane is inexcusable except that charlotte did warn me about this exact thing and i cannot in actuality argue with anything he's saying about my family i wish that i could oh god i wish that i could but i can't and it's from that letter moment on, like she's able to take a look at herself and at him in a more realistic light. Yeah. Um, I know I've heard a lot of people, my husband included, say, oh, it's so, uh, it's bad that she doesn't start falling in love with him until she sees his grand estate. But it's not. It's, it's not. It's the letter. It's here. Yeah. Um, She doesn't know it yet, but it's here. It's here. It is. 100%. So. She goes back to the uh, Collins house and stews, dwells. I don't know. The rest of the Huntsford trip is boring. Yeah. The two gentlemen leave. Um, uh, Lady Catherine is an awful, she's horrible. busybody. She's, she's in everybody's all. business all the time. She's like all constantly telling Mr. Collins exactly what to do with his house. And he's the perfect counterpart for that because he's like he wants somebody to tell him what to do all the time he wants yeah, to be taking yeah. orders from people um and it's to the point where like she so berates mariah lucas about how the right way it is to pack your bags that when they get back that night from rosings mariah lucas goes to try to like unpack all of her stuff and lizzie's like this is do it your again. trunk and nobody's gonna see it but you so maybe we uh. chill 
So they go, they, they go back. And at this point, Jane is also coming back from London at the same time. And Kitty and Lydia meet them in London. They're like, we're treating you to lunch, except you have to loan us the money for it because we spent all ours at the shop. Which is so just quintessential. Then. Perfect. It's so great. And they have to cram in. They bought so much stuff that like nobody fits in the carriage on the way back. Yeah. And they they drop an interesting piece of news, which is that Mr. Wickham is not going to marry Mary King. He is now eligible again. Aren't you happy about that, Lizzie? And she's like, mm, yeah, Mr. Wickham. I'm good. Super. Yeah, we don't need that. Super happy about that. Mm. Yeah, it's strange. Mary King's family just like whisked her away. Yeah. yeah. Mm, wonder what happened there. But they get back to the house. Mr. Bennett is super happy to see them because now there is sense returned to his home. He must have spent a lot of time in the library. He must have. Must have. And yeah, we kind of continue on a pace until the gardeners come. And they're like, all right, Lizzie, we're going to take you on a vacation. We're going to go see the lakes, but we don't actually have time for that because of Mr. Gardner's job. So we're going to just go spend a lot of time in Derbyshire, which is like a beautiful place in England. You'll love it. It's still a three-week vacation. Garden of England. <laughs> it's beautiful <laughs> in Derbyshire. And so they go, and, and Mrs. Gardner spent some time in her youth there. So they go to Lambton. Yeah, she grew up there. Which is by Pemberley. And Pemberley, and the of course. The gardeners are like, hey, um, we're this close. We should go see Pemberley. Because apparently this and is Elizabeth's a thing. Like, no, 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 no. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. But and apparently, everybody like, no, no. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it, apparently, this was a thing that like these big houses were just open to the public to come visit if the family wasn't home. But think, of, I mean, it is today still. Yeah, it like, still I, is. You can go tour the Vanderbilt estate down in North Carolina. The family still lives there. It's just this huge mm-hmm. palace. You still go visit it. And so um. Lizzie's like, I don't really want to because Pemberley is where Darcy lives. And she like it, checks it was in with just a great house, but the grounds, grounds I hear, are, are great. remarkable. And and she like checks in with a servant. The servant's like, no, 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 the family's not here. Like, they're they're out other places. Nobody's there. And Lizzie's like, okay, if nobody's there, I will go to this grand estate. So they they go to the estate. The housekeeper, Mrs. Reynolds, is giving them this tour. And she says, oh, yes, my master, Mr. Darcy, is expected back tomorrow. And Lizzie's like, oh, thank God. We're not going to be here tomorrow anymore. Just dodged a bullet there. Oh, does the Miss know, master? Ah. Yeah, this is awkward now. And so, you know, she sees these, like, little miniature portraits, one of Darcy and one of Wickham. And the housekeeper's like, oh, yeah, that Wickham, he's bad news. And the gardeners, who have only heard about these two men from Lizzie, are like, well, that's not what we've heard. And so she sees this beautiful, glorious, gorgeous estate. And she has this moment of, like, I could have been mistress of this if I'd played my cards a little differently. But I didn't. I misjudged him. I was awful to him. He has now certainly changed his mind about me. So I'm just going to dwell in this what might have been and move on with my life. Until she turns the corner. And who should be coming around from behind the house where the stables are? But Mr. Darcy. If he's not diving into a pond and coming up wet, I don't want it. 
I'm kidding, but that like that was a good moment. It was a great moment. I was a little younger. Um, younger. So they are both so startled to hear to see each other that they literally cannot have a coherent conversation. Hi, are you are you well here? The what? He like asks after her family. the The text says he asks after her family like three times, and she doesn't even notice that he's asked after her family three times because they're both so flustered. And eventually, he's like. Excuse me, please. And he like leaves. And this is one of my favorite moments from the 1995 version is he turns and leaves. And Mr. and Mrs. Gardner are like, well, isn't that strange that he should be back all the time? And they're like bantering back and forth. And then Lizzie with this like gasp just goes, we must go at once. Like it bursts out of her. And she's like, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe that happened. Like, cause she's been dwelling this whole time on like how embarrassing it would be if. She showed up at his house and he was there. And he might think that she was just, like, mocking him by showing up at his house. And now it's happened and she's absolutely horrified. And she's like, we gotta go. We gotta get out of here. And I just, it's just such a wonderful, terrible moment. I love it. It's so good. Like, you can feel the awkward. It's very rare, I feel, that a book really puts the awkward in your stomach. <laughs> like they can ex- they can tell an awkward story, you can feel an awkward presence, but just like the in the pit of your tum tum, you kind of want to vomit it's so awkward. It's that level of awkward. It's really good. But he Mr. Darcy comes running out, he's like collected himself and he comes out and he is the picture of charm and ease and affability. And he's like, I'm yep, sorry that I was so sister. abrupt. Please introduce me to your friends. I want to know if your family is well. Oh, Mr. Gardner, please come fish in my stream. I will give you tackle. And Lizzie is talking to her aunt later and her aunt's like, thought you said that he was soups rude. And like he was. awkward. He was. And Lizzie's like, uh, yeah, I don't know who this guy is. I've never met this Mr. Darcy before. And the most important thing that happens is that he asks for permission to introduce Lizzie to his sister, which is like a huge deal. It is. Because it's Georgiana. It's Georgiana. She's precious. She's precious. And also Charles Bingley and his sisters are coming. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that. So we do have to spend more time with Caroline Bingley. And there's a wonderful moment in the inn where we meet Georgiana. And she's apparently come, like, as soon as she got there, she's like, yes, 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 yes. But then she gets there and she is also super shy. Super socially awkward. And Lizzie and Mrs. Garner pick up on it right away. That it's just, she's just awkward. It's just, she's young and she's shy. And as Lizzie knows, she's had this trauma, trauma, yeah. you know, within a year where she was, like, tricked into thinking she was in love with a rake and he almost ruined her. And she's able to, over the course of a couple of days, get to know Georgiana and spend some time at Pemberley. Uh, and she's supposed to go have dinner there in a couple of days. But something happens. But something happens. She gets two letters in one day from Jane. And it's understandable that one of them got delayed because she wrote the address very ill indeed. 
Very ill. Very ill indeed. So she encourages her aunt and uncle to go, like, start their walk. She's going to stay and she's going to read her letters. She'll catch up with them later. And unfortunately, Jane is writing with not good news. Lydia, who was given permission when the militia left Meriton to journey with them to Brighton as the colonel's wife's personal companion. So she has not been at home. She's been off. That, by the way, might be the dumbest thing I've ever seen parents do. Oh, it's so bad. But she has, um, she's eloped with Mr. Wickham. She's put put herself in the care of Mr. Wickham and they've run away to maybe Gretna Green. Maybe. That's what the the first letter letter says. The second letter goes, uh, well, I was hoping to have better news, but it turns out that maybe they haven't actually eloped because we can't find any trace of them. They went to London and then they disappeared. There's no evidence that they're married at all. So to elope would have been a scandal on its own. But to be living together in London, unmarried, will bring ruin not only on Lydia, but on the entire family when it is known. Yep. That will be it for all of the sisters. They will not be able to marry. They might, might get a pity marriage at some point down the road. But that would be it. But this... They wouldn't be able to choose anymore. This is going to ruin the family, 100%. So while she is just in shock from this, in walks Mr. Mr. Darcy. Darcy. He is coming with an invitation from Georgiana to have Lizzie and her aunt and uncle to dinner. And so he sees her in this state of distress. He's very concerned. You know, you are ill. Like, please tell me how I can help because clearly something is very wrong. And she ha- he sends to go get her aunt and uncle because that's what she wants. And she feels there's nothing to be done. She just relates the whole story of what's happened. Yeah, she's so shocked and like in distress And he's there and he's being nice and he knows Mr. Wickham. So he is the one person she can talk to that will immediately understand. And because his sister was put in the same situation, he's not going to censure her for her sister's behavior. Like he's going to completely understand the position that she's in. And so in this moment of weakness, she tells him everything. And he is distressed. Yeah. Uh, it, he is agitated and he leaves in true Darcy form, always saying the wrong fucking thing. He leaves with a, uh, I sense that you have long desired my absence. Um, and I, I'll go. Bye. Yeah, he now. leaves. He's like, and she says, you know, I won't be able to come to dinner. Please make my excuses. And she asks him, she says, please conceal the truth as long as you can but i know it can't be long like i'm not asking you to lie for me i'm just asking you to not spread it before the room and does yeah and he promises and so, her that and then he leaves and they rush back home um this time in the book is my favorite miss bennett mrs bennett time mm. it's uh, peak Mrs. because bennett. she is flipping her lid. She has gone into hysterics. She hasn't left her room at all. 
And she goes back um, and, and forth between worrying about the ruin of the family, the fact that Mr. Bennett is going to fight Mr. Wickham and he's going to be killed in a die. duel. And then they're going to be destitute because the Collinses are going to turn him out into the street. And Lydia doesn't know the best warehouses for wedding clothes. And she's going to pay too much because she's not consulting with her mother. And these so, things are of equal concern. I just the level of hysterics and how many different tangents she can rail on in one minute is out. It's impressive. Oh, it's so good. Like, I, yes, I want to play Mrs. Bennett someday. It's just, oh, she's over the top and I love it. Yeah. I love it. She's terrible. She's a horrible person. Oh, I love so, it. So Mr. Bennett is in London trying to find Mr. Wickham and Lydia. Mr. Gardner goes to London to assist in that endeavor because he knows the city better. He ends he up sends- sending Mr. Bennett back. And Mr. Bennett has this conversation with Lizzie where he's like, yep, this is my fault. You warned me that this exact thing would happen. And now it has. You were right. I was wrong. And Lizzie's like, don't be too hard on yourself. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to be. It's okay. Like, let me have this moment. I need to feel that I was wrong for once, but it'll pass. It will pass. It will not affect me. He's very upfront about this will not impact me as long as it should. Yeah. But for right now, just let me let me be completely like open about the fact that this is my fault and I should have done better. But his interactions with Kitty are so perfect. Kitty's like, I would have behaved better if I had gone to Brighton. He's like, you're not going anywhere ever again for the rest of your life. You may not finally learned outdoors until you can prove that you have spent 10 minutes in a rational manner. Tell you what, in ten years, in ten years, if you're good, I'll t- I'll take you to the theater. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I've learned to be cautious, and you're going to suffer for it. Yeah, and they have this letter that Lydia wrote, like showing that she thought this was a great lark. Like this, is, she's having the best time of her life. Like, hey, I'm going to elope with Wickham. It's going to be fantastic. Don't tell my family. I want to surprise them. By writing them a letter and signing my real name. And Jane notes that this does not seem like it came as a surprise to Kitty somehow. Kitty doesn't seem Kitty's shocked. Like, <laughs> but yeah, so this this uh, horrible thing has happened. They're waiting on word. And then they get a letter finally from Mr. Gardner that says, we found them. He will marry her. They're not married yet, but he will marry her. I will take care of all of the arrangements. All that you have to do is promise that she will get the money she's owed when you die as part of her inheritance. And you got to give her a hundred pounds a year. And then it's done and dusted. Everything's fine. Uh, and this, of course, bothers Mr. Bennett because he knows that it's more than that. Because Mr. Um, Wickham has gambling debts like... Now that the whole town knows about the situation, everybody is quick to say that they never trusted Mr. Wickham. They never liked Mr. Wickham. They always knew he was a bad egg. Everybody knows once they know, right? Yeah. So, Lydia and Wickham get married. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that 
Mr. Bennett says over and over again that they will never be allowed in his house. He does let them come to visit. Yep, they come to visit. They stay for like a week or so. And Wickham tries to like talk to Elizabeth. Oh, she is not having it. And she lets him know that she knows the whole truth. She's like, yeah, I met Georgiana when I was up in uh, Derbyshire. Had some conversations. Heard you like Ramsgate. Heard you like Ramsgate. Like 15-year-old girls, you dirty, dirty. She's like, yeah. And, you know, Darcy, I feel like I know him a lot better now as a person. Than I did, yeah. Um, Lydia and... Mrs. Bennet are just living the high life. She's got a daughter married at 16. And so now everything's fine. And Lydia's a wife now. And Jane, you must walk lower. And then Lydia accidentally mentions to Lizzie. She's like, let me tell you all about my wedding. I wish that our friends could have been there, but there was nobody to stand up with Wickham but Mr. Darcy. Ew. And Lizzie's like, "Um, I'm sorry. Mr. Darcy. Because before this, she was lamenting the fact that she told everything to Darcy. Because she's like, because it all sorted itself out. He didn't need to know that this was happening. I maybe could have salvaged something if that was something that I wanted. I'm not saying that it was something that I wanted, but I'm saying that maybe I could have salvaged it if I did want it. But he was there. But he was there. And she has to write to her aunt and uncle right away. And, and find out. And she's like, if it's a secret, it can stay a secret. But if you tell me it's a secret, I'm going to use tricks to get the information. And I think that on this reread, Mrs. Gardner's response to this letter might be my favorite letter from the entire book. With just the, Cause it's, I really thought you would have known like, why I thought, he did it. And yeah, because Lizzie's like, I don't did. understand why he did this. Please explain why he did this. And Mrs. Gardner's like, um... Lizzie, really? You don't know? Well, it could have been this reason or this reason, or you know another really important, big, obvious one. Because there's a great sequence when they're at Pemberley from Mrs. Gardner's point of view when she's like watching Lizzie and Darcy interacting, and it says, it was evident that Darcy was very much in love. So it's like, he's not even hiding it. He's super obvious. Lizzie is so oblivious. And my favorite part of this letter is at the very end where Mrs. Gardner's like, hey, I'm sorry for teasing you so much in this letter. If it's not true, just ignore it. Please don't let it bother you. Please don't punish me by not letting me come visit Pemberley when you're married to Mr. Darcy and living there. (laughs) I don't want to be kept away from P. It's so good. It's such good sass. I was, I listened to this part of it and, um, on Audible, it's part of the, like, the membership one. Rosamond Pike does an amazing job mm-hmm. of narrating this particular part. Um, but she really, she really leaned into the sass of, oh, just don't bar me from coming to pee, which then made me laugh because I'm a child. Um, because she wrote pee instead of Pemberley. Yes. And I am. She's being eight. nudge, nudge, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so it's so so good. Such a good letter. Wickham and Lydia leave. And then, who should return to Bingley the neighborhood shows. but Bingley? Oh, yeah. Well, the rumors are going around. He's coming down to shoot. Um, but this time, it's like the exact opposite. This time, it's just him. He's coming by himself, and he's coming to shoot. But it's not just it's not him. just him. Mr. Darcy's there, so, too. 
And Jane's like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. There's nothing between us. I'm over it. It's cool. We can meet as indifferent acquaintances. And not a problem. Mrs. Bennett is the worst. Mm -hmm. She's just the worst at this visit. Yeah, he shows up with Darcy. And she is like, oh my gosh, Mr. Bingley, we're so happy you're here. And I guess you're welcome too, Mr. Darcy. But Mr. Bingley. And she's so obvious about it. And like, Lizzie is mortified. Absolutely Just, mortified. And she's also very And confused. Mr. Darcy's not talking. He's not saying anything. He's not talking to her. He's not trying to talk to her. He's like not even catching her eye from across the room. He's like a stone statue. And she is so confused. She's like, everybody keeps saying that he is like obviously in love with me, but he's given me nothing. Nothing. But after some uh, strategic hijinks, Jane and Bingley are left alone in a room together for a while. It's some wonderful hijinks, it's some by the way. some wonderful hijinks from Mrs. Bennet. And I didn't remember until I reread the book that she actually has to do it twice. Like, she's got the big scene where she, like, strategically removes everybody from the room and then, like, nothing happens that day. And so the next day she has to do it again. Bingley's not super quick. No. But, but eventually, he, he eventually proposed. We come out of this with Jane and Bingley being engaged, which is great. And so then he, as the future son in law, is coming around to the house, but he keeps bringing Mr. Darcy. And so finally, Mrs. Bennett is like, Lizzie, please go walk with him. So they all go for a walk down to Meryton, and they've taken Kitty with them. Yeah. This time. Um, but, of course, Bingley and Jane are, like, lagging behind. And Kitty wants to go visit Kitty, Mariah. Is that cool, Lizzie? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so fine. they run off. And finally, Darcy and Elizabeth are alone. And Elizabeth goes, okay, I can't be quiet on it anymore. I have to thank you for what you did for Lydia. My aunt told me everything. We didn't specify that. He's the one who found them. He's the one who paid for everything. He's the one who made the marriage happen. Um, Darcy did it. And Elizabeth's like, my family doesn't know or they would be thanking you too. We can never repay you. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're going to thank me, thank me for yourself. For I only did it for you. <laughs> and then... If your feelings are what you they are were You are too generous to April. trifle with me. Tell me so at once. My thoughts and affections are unchanged, but one word from you will silence will me silence on the subject. Forever. Forever. I want you guys to all know, because you can't see us right now, that when we are quoting this book, there are no books in front of no. us. No. Oh, no, no, no. We don't need that shit. Not for this stuff. It's so this good. Is, this is in me. It's in my blood. <sighs> I know it. It's in yours. And it no. is. Yes. And this is where I hate the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Because the really important moment from this proposal is that he says... Tell me at once how you feel. I want the same thing. But if you tell me no again, that's it. I will never mention it again. I will not bring it up. It will be over between us. And then he shuts up. He stops talking and he lets her make the next move. He's going to take his cue from her. And she tells him about how 
Her feelings have changed so much she is embarrassed to think of what they were. And they go back and forth about, when did you know you loved me? No, when did you know you loved me? Yeah, that's over the course of a few different conversations. Um, But I love all of this talk that they have when they're kind of clearing the air between each other. And they talk about that first proposal. And she's mortified by her behavior. And he's mortified by his behavior. And they kind of, you know talk about how they've each changed and how they've each grown into different people. And I see a lot of stuff on the internet sometimes where it's like people only, girls only want Mr. Darcy because he's rich and he's handsome and he's brooding. And we're like, no, the ideal that Mr. Darcy represents is a man with flaws who is censured for those flaws, accepts the censure, recognizes his own bad behavior and works to change it without any expectation of a return of feelings as a reward. Are you going to put that on a pillow? Like, that was perfect. Yeah. Nicely done. I will get a transcript of this. I will embroider it onto a pillow for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, needless to say, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth are now engaged. I mean, he still has to talk to her father, of Oh, course. we skipped a huge important part again. We skipped Lady Catherine de Bourgh's visit. How do we keep doing this? Oh, my God. Okay. Rewind to after Rewind. being proposed. After being but proposed. But before the walk with Darcy. They get Mr. <laughs> Mr. Bingley has proposed. And all of a sudden, with no warning whatsoever, Lady Catherine de Bourgh shows up at Longbourn. And they're all flustered. And Lizzie's like, I have no idea what she's doing here. What the fuck is happening? And you have a prettyish sort of walk for nature over there. Let's go. Walk with me. And she gets there. She's like, you can, of course, have no doubt of why I'm here. And Liz is like, I, I have no, have no fucking idea clue here, what you're doing here. Nope. She's like, know. I've heard a horrifying rumor that you are engaged to my nephew. And I've come to make sure it's not true. It's not true. And she demands that Lizzie tell her it's not true. And Lizzie will not deny it. Well, she says, like, no, I'm not engaged. I'm not engaged. Well, will you say that you'll never become engaged to him? <laughs> no. Yeah, eventually of we get to I that point. That. But like earlier in the conversation, she's like, tell me at once. Well, you've said it's impossible. So clearly I'm not. Like she meets everything with banter and she just, she will not straight out say, no, I'm not engaged to him. And then when Lady Catherine is like, you promise me that you will never enter into an engagement. She's like, nope, won't make that promise. You don't control my life. You're not at liberty nothing to, to, to tell me that. And you've been incredibly insulting this entire visit. Like every word out of your mouth has been incredibly insulting to me. I don't deserve that. Um, and I'm going to turn my back on you and leave now because you're a horrible human being. I take no leave. I take no leave. I offer no compliments to your mother. You deserve no such attention. And like her last ditch effort to like try and cow Lizzie <laughs> is by saying like, I know about the elopement between your sister and Wickham. Is my nephew to be attached to such a family? Are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? Looted it. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So... Uh, I also want you to know that when I was younger, I fully, like, she would say that, and I really thought she was talking about, like, the curtains. Are <laughs> <laughs> the shades of Pamela yeah. to be such polluted? And I'm like, what, is she going to, like, dirty the curtains? 
Is this like, are the curtains a symbol for the family? No. And eventually I was talking with my mom about it. And she's like, uh, no, she's talking about the like subsequent line coming down. Yeah. Oh, not the curtains? She goes, there's nothing to do with the curtains, Amelia Bedelia. <laughs> not a damn thing. So after Catherine DeBerg's visit, Mr. Bennett gets a letter from Mr. Collins. That's like, uh, you should be aware of this. And he shares it with Lizzie because he thinks it's hilarious. Like, can you imagine? He thinks you're engaged to Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy, who hates you? Isn't that funny? And Lizzie's like, yeah, it's hilarious, <laughs> Dad. It's so funny. So then Darcy comes fast forward because one of the things that he says on this walk to her is um, my aunt told me about her visit with you. And that's what gave me hope because I knew that if you had absolutely decided not to marry me, you would just have said it. Like she would have said you're engaged to my nephew. You would have burst out laughing and said, I'm absolutely fucking not. And so because you refused to acknowledge that you weren't like. I knew that there was some hope. The door was open a little bit. So I thought I'd come down and see for myself. And so now they're engaged. He goes and talks to Mr. Bennett. And then Mr. Bennett has a frank conversation with Lizzie where he's like, um, we laughed about this Again, two days ago. You hate him. Like, he's not the type of man that I would ever say no to. Yeah. I've given him my consent because... He's rich and powerful, but I need you to really make sure that this is what you want because don't marry him for the money. We'll be fine. And Lizzie's like, no, dad, like you, there is so much I have not told you about what has happened. Like, and she spells it all out. She tells him everything that he did for Lydia. She tells him, you know, that he's the one that they owe their fortunes to. And I love this line where Mr. Bennett's like, oh. Okay, I actually feel much better about that because he's in love. And so you can excuse any grand gesture if it's done out of love. So tomorrow I'll offer to pay him back. He'll insist that I not do it. And I'll be like, all right, cool. And I won't feel any guilt about it the way that I would have thinking that it was your Uncle Gardner who had done this. And if anybody comes for Kitty or Mary, I'm quite at my leisure. Well, yeah, he just married, like, three daughters in a month, you know? I know. Boom, boom, boom. Worked out pretty well. And that's Pride and Prejudice. That's Pride and Prejudice. It's a book, man. It's lovely. It's fantastic. Um, We've gone nice and long. We have. So thanks for sticking with us. I think we're almost at two hours. We are just over two hours. But it's a full novel. It's a full full novel, and it's really good. And we might have streamlined it a little bit more if we could remember the order that things happened in. It's fine. It makes us... So come back for the next where you can hear me talk about this wonderful novel called Mr. Darcy, Vampire. Oh, do we have to? (laughs) No, not really. I just wanted to show off how many strange and stupid adaptations I have. But yes, we will be talking about adaptations. We will be talking about themes. We will be talking about who is pride and who is prejudice. I wrote that on my notes, too. Who is pride and who is prejudice? But until next time, oh, the boys aren't here to do all the dumb sign-off stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, moose out front should have told ya. Podcast is over. Uh, something about dicks. Good night, John Boy. Good night, John Boy. Good night, John Boy. Good night, John.
This has been a Ghostlight Media production.